You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. I have an interesting message. It's entitled, The Mark. The Mark. And I think it's very appropriate for what's going on in the world today. And all the different controversies regarding this subject. This is number three in Metamorphosis, The Way of Transformation. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this subject of metamorphosis and the way of transformation. And the new thing we're doing is standing for the beginning of the reading of the Word. So if I can get you to all stand, it's not going to be long, but in honor of the Word. And it was something that was done in the Bible. Um, We're standing, we're going to read the Word, and then we're going to pray. Galatians 6.17 is our opening text. Galatians 6.17. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. I'll read that one more time. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. This is Paul speaking. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Let's put our hands on our hearts before we sit, and if you can pray nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Transform my life in your precious name. Amen. You may, you may be seated. You may be seated, and then I'm going to pray now. Father, give me your words, your grace, what needs to be shared. Give us wisdom and understanding. Drive away all fear And let us be in your shalom and your peace today. Amen. The theme this morning is this. We do not need to fear in these last days if we fear the Lord. And I'll even make it more personal. You do not need to fear in these last days if you fear the Lord. Actually, the last days is not a new thing to our generation. (laughs) The last days began when Jesus came, and especially when he went to the cross, and he said, it is finished, and he rose again. There's the beginning of the last days, the outpouring of God's Spirit. And God's purpose in these last days is for his good news, the gospel, to go to all the nations, every quarter and corner of this world. That's his purpose. And we have to watch out as God's people that we do not get distracted by that purpose. Our purpose is to be filled with the Spirit and to be a witness of Christ. Now, the enemy's purpose is to get us divided, get us fearful, 
get us worried, get us off track and off mission. And so we're going to talk about this subject of the mark, and it's going to be probably a little bit different than maybe what you're expecting. So let me introduce the message some more to you. History is a battle over the mark. This epic battle finds its culmination in the book of Revelation. Whose mark is on you? Certain people and forces want to mark you as their own. Ultimately, the battle is over God's mark or the serpent's mark. Spurgeon wrote, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Can I read that again? Charles Spurgeon said, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. Today we will walk through the Bible studying the subject of the mark. Specifically, we will look at God's mark and discover what it means. Lastly, we will look at the mark of the beast and understand what it's all about. So this is a good message. It's more of a, it's more of a deeper one. But this is one of those that it's good to have a pen and a notebook and write these things down and, and carefully meditate on them. As, we, as the weeks go by and during the week. So this brings us to the first point. God marks those who are His. The first point is God marks those who are His. Are you with me? So in Hebrew, there are two words for marks. Or these are the two main words for Mark. The first is Tav. And some of you may recognize that word Tav because the Hebrew alphabet starts with Aleph and it ends with Tav. It's the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the letter and the word Tav means a sign, mark, seal, or signature. A sign, a mark, a seal, or signature. In ancient times and in the Near Eastern languages, this letter was a mark like an X. It's what we call today the St. Andrew's Cross. It's like an X. And, and today we still use the X for signatures. So the ancient Tav was an X-looking symbol. And you know, you have X at the bottom of a document and you make your signature there. So that's one of the words for mark in Hebrew. Another one is the word ot, ot. And you can write it just ot, ot, ot. Usually has an apostrophe before. Ot is a sign or distinguishing, distinguishing mark. It's used for signs and wonders too. So it's a word used for signs and wonders. Ot is the name of a letter in Hebrew. In other words, if you want to say letter, it's the word ot. And the Hebrew alphabet is called the otiot. That's plural of ot. The otiot is letters, or, but it means signs too. And you know if you study languages that letters are signs. And that thought was way back 
into Hebrew and the beginning of Scripture in the Hebrew language is that the letters were signs. So in other words, the letters are signs. They are signs and symbols for communicating. And according to rabbinic tradition, they meant something uh, greater than just sounds. It's through words that God created the whole universe. The whole universe came into being through God's word, which is made up of letters that represent the sounds. So this is why in the Jewish tradition, the letters were seen as sacred. The first time we find God making a mark, an oat, is in Genesis 4.15, or the first time we see him specifically marking man is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. And it reads this, And Yahweh set a mark on Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Now, this is very interesting, very fascinating that God makes this oath, this mark, this sign on Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. God's mark on Cain was sheer mercy. It, was based, it wasn't based on Cain's goodness or works. It was based on God's kindness and grace. He murdered his brother. He murdered Abel because he was jealous of him. And you would think because Cain murdered his brother Abel and Abel's the first martyr and his blood is crying out from the ground, you would think that God would say, all right, let's get rid of Cain too because he murdered his brother. Capital punishment, right? But God does something very different. Not, nothing we would expect here. He puts a mark on Cain so nobody would kill him, so that he would live and he would be protected. How could God forgive a murderer? I remember when I, when I was in a rabbinical class in, in university, and the rabbi was saying, that's the unforgivable sin is murder. And usually society sees it like that, and religion sees it like that, that murder is the unforgivable sin of and of course, it's horrible. It's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Yet God shows us the extent of His grace in marking Cain. And what the mark does, it's a claiming Cain as his own. That's what a mark does, a sign, a signature. That's the biblical understanding of it. Is, uh, it's claiming someone as your own. And so shepherds would use a mark or a sign to claim their sheep. It ha it's an issue of ownership. This idea of a mark is an issue of ownership. And remember our opening text, Paul is, says he has the brand marks, the stigmata of Christ on his body. And there's two different uh, ways to look at it both go together first of all he he went through a lot of suffering and so his body was marked he had scars for his faith in Jesus but it's more than that 
in his soul, his soul was marked by Jesus. He had the imprints of Christ in his, his nature and character. He had paid the cost to follow Jesus. As history unfolds from Cain, we see that God forgives Moses, who's a murderer, and Paul, who is a murderer and a persecutor. And God puts his mark, so to speak, on Moses and Paul. They are his. So therefore, one of the first things that we learn about God's mark is that it is the mark of his mercy and grace. And even before Cain, God makes man in his image and likeness. Again, this is another way of God marking man, this idea of an imprint. God imprints man with his image and likeness. In other words, the Lord impresses on man, Adam and Eve, his character and likeness through sin that's marred and through salvation that's restored again. And it ends up being a lifelong process of that restoration happening in our life. But God's purpose is that we are like a, a coin impressed or like a wax seal and we're impressed and we bear his mark. We bear his ownership. We uh, look like him. We have his character and nature and what is his character and nature? We see it right from Genesis. It's a character and nature of grace and mercy and kindness. And he puts this kindness on Cain, even though he doesn't deserve it. As scripture continues, we see that God marks Abraham through circumcision. You can read about it in Genesis 17, 10 through 11. We'll turn there. Genesis 17. 10 through 11. Now, we're going to eventually get to the mark of the beast, but unless you understand who God is and the Scripture from, beginning to the, from the beginning, you're not going to understand the end and what it's about. So we have to understand the subject in context. So we go to Genesis 17, 10 through 11. And we read, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign, the oath of the covenant between me and you. So as I said before, it's called an oath. And it's a sign of God's covenant in the most private, hidden of places. It's a personal blood covenant marked in the body part that reproduces the seed. That's important for God. The seed is important. Now, before this covenant, this personal mark is made on Abraham's body, before this, Abraham reproduces Ishmael. God gave him a promise, but Abraham in his flesh tried to fulfill it through the pressure of Sarah, through Hagar. 
And that was never God's intention for him to do it in his own way. And this is the thing, when you receive a promise from God, when you receive a dream from God, when you receive a vision from God, you need to then pray, how, Lord, do you want me to get there? What is your way? Because at first, Abraham doesn't know his way. He hears the promise and he thinks, I need to produce, I need to produce this myself. I need to produce this thing myself. And so he gives birth to Isaac. Isaac, in God's grace and mercy, is still blessed, but he is not the promised child that's going to be through. Uh, sorry, did I get that messed up? I, I got it messed up. Because I'm thinking ahead. Okay. Did I mention Ishmael? Did I, I said Ishmael, but then I accidentally said Isaac. So let me edit myself. Okay. Abraham reproduces Ishmael in his own way. It's Ishmael that is not the promised child, the one that God is going to make the covenant to inherit the land with. And that is because Abraham is doing it in his own way, in his own flesh. He had a promise from God, but he's trying to produce the promise in his, own, in his own way. So he produces Ishmael. In God's grace and mercy, and this is in God's grace and mercy, Ishmael is blessed, but God says, I have a better way. And that way is through Isaac. And so after this covenant is made, this personal covenant of circumcision, then comes Isaac. And Isaac comes out of a miracle. He comes out of the, the Spirit of God. Amen. Doing a miracle, producing something which Abraham could not produce in his own flesh or power. Both Abraham and Sarah could not give birth to children, but God does it through him. And that's after that blood covenant of circumcision. So that circumcision is putting God's mark on Abraham. It comes after Ishmael and before Isaac, and it distinguishes that there are two ways to bear fruit, one in the flesh and the other by the Spirit. Moving forward, as we walk through Scripture, we come to the sign, the oath of the blood on the doorposts. We can read it in Exodus 12, 13. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. The blood shall be a sign. Oat. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here we see another sign, another mark. And this is the mark of the blood, the blood on the doorpost. The Israelites were commanded to mark their doorpost with blood on the Passover. It was a sign. Furthermore, God's people were marked with signs and wonders before escaping Egypt. So the whole uh, escape process, the whole exodus was marked with signs and wonders. 
So signs and wonders were the mark of God's people, and especially the mark was the blood on the doorpost. And that meant God was hovering over and protecting His people. But those who were not His people and those who did not have the mark were destroyed by the plague that came against the firstborn. And all throughout that story of Exodus, we see God is distinguishing His people from the people that are not His. So God protects those who have his mark, the blood. He makes a clear distinction between his people and the Egyptians. And lastly, as we keep on going through the Old Testament, before we come to Jesus, we see the mark, the tav of God in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 11, uh, 1 through 11. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1 through 11. And I'll just summarize the story for you. God is going to bring judgment on Jerusalem, and it is going to be uh, very um, graphic. It's going to be very strong. But then you see angels with these writing kits, and they they are called by God to mark everyone on the forehead who grieves and laments and mourns for sin. So everyone who grieves and laments and mourns for sin receives the tav, the mark of God on their forehead. And those who don't, don't receive the mark. And so God is distinguishing his people by those who are uh, convicted by sin, who are grieved by sin, who sin really bothers them. Uh, if I can put it in just colloquial language. Uh, Let's go there because I'd like you to see this. Ezekiel chapter 9, 1 through 11. And we won't won't read all of this, but it's one of those very important passages. And I've taught about it at Bible school before. Ezekiel chapter 9. And we'll just read some parts. Uh, one of, here we see a man. We, it's an angel clothed in linen with a writing case at his loins. And then it says, as we go down in verse 3, he called to the man clothed in linen at whose loins was the writing case. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city and even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan and over over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said, in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. And so again, we see something very graphic here. God marks all those who deeply grieve over sin. He puts his mark on their forehead and they are protected from judgment. From all these verses, we should be firmly convinced that God knows his own and marks them with his seal 
and they are his, and no one will steal them away. Amen? Only a few of you? Amen? Amen. <laughs> so this brings us, there's three points here. This brings us to the second point. Jesus bears the eternal marks of God, the wounds of his sacrifice. Jesus bears the eternal marks of God, the wounds of his sacrifice. In John 20, 20, you can turn over there. He showed his disciples both his hands and his side. And he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And we know what Thomas said in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the, other, so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, then Jesus comes and he says, peace, peace to you. And then in verse 27, we read, then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said here, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, yet believed. And through this, we see that Jesus eternally, even after, this is after the resurrection, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, of course, but even after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus still has the wounds and the scars. Of course, they're not infected they are beautiful. They are glorified. And this is the same thing with us. We do bear uh, wounds in life for following Jesus. God does not completely, he heals them, but he doesn't remove the scars. We, there's still a testimony of Christ, but he glorifies them. He beautifies them. And this is how we minister to people. We minister to people out of the wounds that have then come through the resurrection of Christ. So in many people's eyes, they have a perfectionist thought that, uh, well, I'm not going to have any scars. I'm not going to have any wounds. But yes, Jesus still has his wounds. In, in Revelation, he still looks like a lamb slain. So Jesus bears the eternal marks of God, the wounds of his sacrifice. Again, in, in applying this to ourselves, we, uh, we need to realize that God wants to heal the wounds, but we actually minister comfort through the comfort that we have received from God. So life is not without wounds. Life is not without pain. But let's go forward into our study here. Both the religious world and the political world tried to put their mark on Jesus. 
That's what the crucifixion was about for them. They were trying to put their mark on Jesus. They were trying to put the marks of crucifixion on him. They were trying to put the marks of condemnation and ultimate rejection on him. They were saying, this man is blasphemous. That was what the religious people were saying. And the Romans were saying this man was, the government was saying this man is uh, dangerous for society and he deserves to be crucified. The worst type of criminal criminal punishment that can be given. It was a shame, the ultimate shame. So they're trying to put their marks on him. However, Jesus is marked by God, and they can't harm him. And this is the thing we need to get in our hearts. When you are sealed by God, when you're marked by God, no matter what's done to you, it cannot harm you. The name of Christ, Christos, means anointed one. In the Hebrew, it's Mashiach. An anointed one is one that's marked by God. So they, this was a tradition of, uh, uh, biblically, uh, you would mark the kings as anointed. You would mark the prophets as anointed. You would mark the priest as anointed. And Jesus is our king. He's the ultimate king, prophet, and priest. Interestingly, Christos in the Greek starts with the Greek letter key. It's an X, which is the ancient Hebrew letter for Tav Mark. So Christos starts with an X in the Greek. And we know the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. The early Christians used the X as a sign that they were followers of Christ. And you can see some of their emblems in caves and, and from the early church. You can look it up online. You see that they had this, uh, this mark, this sign, this symbol of an X. And that X meant Christ. And that also meant that they were marked as followers of Christ. Because Jesus is marked by God's anointing, the Holy Spirit, he is one with the Father, and the marks that the wicked world tried to put on him don't stick. Instead, the curse is turned into a blessing. So they meant it as a curse, but it was turned into a blessing. Just like Balaam tried to curse God's people, Israel, but it was turned into a blessing. And this is the thing, when you are marked by God, when you are anointed, no matter what the enemy throws at you, it is turned into a blessing for those who believe. This is a day and an hour where we need people who are rooted and grounded and firm in the faith that was delivered to us over many, many years and is witnessed and testified in the scripture. The marks of the cross are signs of God's love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Think about the wounds in his hands, on his side. The scars that would have been on his back. Think about those, those wounds. They are signs of his mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness. And when... Thomas touches these wounds. He's filled with this inexpressible joy 
and wonder and praise my Lord and my God. Because God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God who sheds his blood so that he could claim us as his own, so that he can redeem us. That's what redemption is about. It's about buying us so that we are his. So Jesus sheds his blood to buy us, to take us as his own. And his blood is the ultimate sign and mark that protects you. So the blood in the Old Testament that was put on the doors was a sign foreshadowing Jesus' blood. And it's Jesus' blood that is the ultimate protection, the ultimate blessing, the ultimate mark of God on our lives. Once Christ was crucified, God's covenant and mark became an inward thing, a matter of the heart. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. We're not taking physical blood, right? It's spiritual, invisible, but it's real. It's very real. Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. We read about circumcision. It was an important part of the history of God's people. And yet, that physical sign was finished when Christ says it is finished on the cross. And we're going to read about this here in Paul and understand the gospel some more. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. In other words, you need that mark of circumcision to be God's people. Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ because they are afraid of this persecution that comes from the cross of Christ, which is an inward thing and it's not an outward, uh, it's not just something outward and of the flesh. But of course, it shines through our life and our, our behavior. Verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Notice the flesh there. Are you following me here? Are you following me? This is an important part. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then he goes on to say, for neither circumcision is anything, neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What is, he, what is he saying? What matters is the new creation. That circumcision that Abraham received was a physical mark, but now what matters is the changing of the heart. The circumcision of the heart, as he says later the removing and the crucifixion of our own fleshly nature that's on the inside, that sinful nature. Again, I'll say it. I'll say it again. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, why was this such an important statement, a bold statement? Because this was a whole change in the way things were done. 
And it was a huge controversy in the early church because they, they would say, well, someone's been born again. Uh, they now say they're a follower of Christ. That's good. But now because they're a follower of Christ, they need to be circumcised to enter into the covenant. And Paul is saying, no, it's only by faith that you enter into the covenant. It is by faith and it's, it's God's work that is done within you, the new heart, the new creation that matters. And all of those things in the past were uh, pointing to the ultimate reality which is found in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is the heart and the center of the good news. That Jesus Christ is the new creation and when you're in Him, you're the new creation. So then verse 16 goes on and says, And those who will walk by this rule... And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Then he goes on to say, our opening text, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. So here, Paul is branded for Christ. He is Christ's own. And part of that was that he went through all that persecution from people who said, if you're not uh, circumcised, then you're not part of God's people. And he's saying that's an outward thing. You leave me alone. I have been crucified with Christ. So what counts in the new covenant has to do with our hearts. It has to do with God's work within. It has to do with our faith in Jesus and Christ is all in all. Outward marks mean nothing. What matters is the blood and God's work within. Are you understanding this? Because this is the heart of the gospel message. Outward marks mean nothing. What matters is the blood and God's work within. Uh, was, this is an interesting one, but when we were hiking up and down the mountains in Mexico and David Hogan, uh, with David Hogan and his missionaries, we were sharing the gospel. And many of the, these pastors, he had all these pastors that he had trained up and led, and these pastors were mighty men of God who would raise the dead and heal the sick and preach the gospel. Uh, but the, now this is back in, this is back in, uh, what was it, 1998, was it? 1998? So this is back before all this stuff that's happened now. But the, all, uh, the, some of the students, they were young in the faith, a bit immature, were laughing at one of the pastors because he had been given secondhand clothes and he was wearing on his shirt a big marijuana leaf. <laughs> of course, this guy, this guy didn't know anything about marijuana. He lived on rice and beans. He, he, they were the poorest of the poor. They're, the, they're, they're some of the most poor people in the whole world. They live in little huts and poorer, again, one of the most marginalized people on the face of the earth. He loved Jesus with all his heart, but he's wearing a shirt with a marijuana leaf. God could care less. It was an outward thing that did not reflect him. But you would have people say, 
Condemn that man. Get him out. He shouldn't be a pastor because they are thinking all outwardly. I remember when we used to preach in the Danish hall, there was a, a Viking helmet and somebody came in and they were all upset. You can't worship here because there's a Viking helmet and it's demons coming out of that Viking helmet. It's a sad way that Christian think, Christians think. You know, John G. Lake was a great man of faith. He had his meetings in Masonic lodges, not because he believed in Masonic lodges. He had some of his meetings there because he knew that that had no power over him. The power was in Jesus Christ. So we're to be a light in the darkness and not be all caught up with these outward things, but Christ within shining out. Let me go as far as saying that persecutors could hold you down and stamp 666 on your forehead. They could, they could hold you down, and in persecution, they could take a stamp and put 666 on your forehead just to embarrass you, to, to do something shameful. They could do that, and that mark would not send you to hell since God's mark is on you. It transcends outward things. Now, in the last days that we are in, and as we approach the end, all sorts of strange things will happen, but we have to trust in God's work within. Paul bore the marks of worshiping God alone and laying down his life for Jesus. He was circumcised, and yet others bore the same marks of devotion who were not circumcised. Again, what matters is the new creation within Which brings us to the third and last point. God protects those he has marked and sealed. God protects those who he has marked and sealed. And so before we ever encounter the mark of the beast, we see in Revelation, and you go to Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 8. Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 8. Revelation chapter 7, 1 through 8. And we won't read all of it. I'll just read part of it. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. Say the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That there was a seal to protect God's people in this time of great tribulation. Then look at chapter 9, verse Chapter 9, verse 4. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So we can see here that the ones with the seal of God on their foreheads, and this is a spiritual thing. We're not talking about God taking a stamp and putting it on your forehead. We're talking about something that God does within. 
those who were sealed by God were protected and shielded. And you, of course, you can see this theme all throughout Revelation. So one of the key messages in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is that God protects those he has marked, he has sealed, even through the fiercest tribulation and persecution. The last book of the Bible is about God's mark. But there's also another mark. It's usually what readers are transfixed on. And this is mentioned in Revelation 13, Revelation 14, 16, 19, even 20. And we'll just turn to Revelation chapter 13 first. And verses 16 through 17. Now that we understand what the mark is, now we can understand what it's meaning by the mark of the beast. In other words, the devil is trying to put his mark on people. He is trying to imprint his ways on people. And since Revelation is a highly symbolic book, there's no way to say whether it is going to be an actual physical thing or not. But one thing I want to make clear is that the mark of the beast is associated with worshiping the false Messiah. The mark of the beast is clearly, over and over it's mentioned, it has to do with worshiping the false Messiah, worshiping the devil. It has to do with breaking the first command of Scripture, which is you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make an idol. I'll read this to you here. And, you can, and I have all the references you can get in the notes or you could study it yourself. Revelation 13, 16. And he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on, or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Now, of course, all throughout the history of uh, the church, everybody has speculated on who the Antichrist is. And the first one is Nero, uh, Caesar, that they were thinking of. And, all, and pretty much every generation has said, oh, no, this person is the Antichrist, that person is the Antichrist. And I've heard that Donald Trump is the Antichrist. I've heard that George Bush is the Antichrist. Uh, Of course, you look at Hitler, you would think that Hitler was the Antichrist. He's putting his mark on all these people. Some of these people throughout history, like Hitler, are definitely Antichrist in nature. They are Antichrists. In other words, they're lawless ones. But in the end, there is going to be one... And he is going to be demanded, he's going to demand, sorry, he's going to demand that people worship him. He's going to demand that people worship him, and if you don't worship him, you won't be able to do much of anything. 
As we go on, let me show you this in 14.9, Revelation 14.9. And we're close to the end here, but I don't want to rush this part. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image. Notice the word worships. Say the word worships. Worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. He will also... He also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in the full strength in the cup of his anger. So again, very strong words. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, of course, with these strong words, it's very easy for us Christians to get so fixed on this. But I want to give you some sound thinking in that this has to do with worshiping the enemy. It has to do with worshiping Satan. It has to do with your loyalty is not with God, it is with the evil one. And it's repeated over and over. Every time the mark is mentioned, it's, mentioned, it's connected with the worship of the beast, the final antichrist. John uses the Greek word karagma. You know, it sounds like uh, karagma. It sounds like a character. And it means for this mark, karagma. He uses this Greek word, and it means a mark, a stamp, an imprint, or brand. It's from the idea of engraving or carving, especially making an idol. An idol is engraved in a car. And carved. So John chooses a word that specifically has to do with idolatry. Also, it could be related to the Roman documents and the seals that they uh, put on documents. So it's all a little bit of a revolutionary word there. And John is using his word, words right, uh, wisely. wisely. One, one thing that John makes clear, and I just mentioned it, he makes it clear repeatedly that it's associated with those who worship the beast, the Antichrist, the false Messiah. You can't get this mark by mistake. It can't be an accident. It's not like, oh, I got a mark. It's my accident. Now I'm going to hell. Remember the good gospel. Remember the good news. Realize that since God's mark is spiritual, you cannot see it by the natural eye. The mark of the beast may not be something physical. This is another thing we have to watch out for. It may not be a physical mark. And I have followed this all the way down through uh, ever since I've been saved. You know, everybody has been postulating or, or speculating about what it is. Is it a, that little chip that you put in? It may not be a chip that you put into your hand or your forehead. One thing is, for, uh, when they, in the 70s, they got really uh, frantic about it. It was the barcode. And in the barcode, there's the 666. And so the barcode is the mark of the beast. And so uh, you would find all these Christians in the 70s, they would cut out the barcodes because they, they heard some end time teaching. They would cut out the barcodes from their uh, products because they were not going to fall into the mark of the beast. Wow. And so they would cut out the barcodes and get rid of them. And there's no Christian today that believes specifically that the barcodes are going to send you to hell. I don't know one. Maybe there is some group somewhere. There's always some group somewhere. 
And so all throughout history, people have been fearful and worried about many different things. What matters? The gospel, the good news. What matters is God's new creation, being born again. God's mark on us. That Do you have God's mark? Because if you have God's mark and seal, you are protected from whatever is to come. You are watched over. God knows those who are His. And a barcode or a QR code or uh, even an RFID chip or whatever it is, is not going to uh, condemn you to hell. Of course, if it had to do with worship, here, worship the beast and worship me. And some, some leader says, worship me. And if you don't, and worship me. And if you worship me, we'll give you the ID check and you can then live in society free. If it comes down to that, say no. You don't worship anyone but God alone. If anyone exalts themselves, and, and they will, this person will, and say, worship me. If you don't worship me, uh, you don't get permission to travel and this and that. Well, if it comes down to that, you say, no, we, do, we worship God and God alone. And it seems like we're approaching that time quickly, but none of us knows when the day or hour is. Because you would think in World War II and all the Jews being slaughtered, six million Jews being slaughtered, and Hitler trying to take over the world, you would think that was the end. But it wasn't. And you would think now with everything that's going on with COVID that this is the end. It is nearing the end, but it is not the end. What is our responsibility? Nothing should distract us from the mission of preaching the good news and not getting sidetracked by vaccines. So I'm going to talk quickly about this. But let me finish what I'm saying here. Revelation is full of symbolisms. The mark of the beast is the enemy's branding on your life. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you don't need to be afraid of it. The Antichrist has not yet been revealed. And if you're concerned about this, read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because there's all this confusion going on in the early church and they're all worried because someone has, says, someone has said, the day of the Lord has come. And Paul says, it hasn't come until the lawless one is revealed and he will demand to be worshipped. Then Christ will come and slay him and the kingdom will come and again, you're not going to have to worry, but everybody was worried. The Antichrist has not yet been revealed. Many speculate about it, but our faith is not in speculations, but in Jesus Christ. Our faith is not in the latest YouTube video that's come out. It is in the Scripture. And you can persecute me all you want and attack me, but I am always going to say, the scripture. Our faith needs to be found on the word of God and the scripture, not on speculations and controversies that are out there. Therefore, let's not jump to conclusions and base our faith on speculations and fear. Let us base it on Christ and what he has done. Now, 
the vaccines that are currently being rolled out are not associated with worshiping a false messiah. Here is the thing with the vaccines, and I just want to propose a simple biblical solution. You don't have to get it. God is the Lord of your body. You ask him, Lord, do you want me to get this or not? If he says no, then don't get it. If he says yes because he wants you to go to Africa and preach the gospel or wants you to go someplace else and preach the gospel, and you say, yes, Lord, it will not harm you. But maybe your body's a little bit sensitive and he, God knows it. And, and, and you're one of those, they put it in and you fall to the ground and die. I hope not, right? So maybe then, then God, is your, God is your Lord. And he'll say, no, don't get it. I know you. I know your body. I know the moment they put that in you, you're going to fall dead. I don't want you to take the vac- vaccination. So what I'm saying is the issue is submit it to Jesus. And according to Romans 14, let us not condemn someone that gets it or someone who does not get it. On both sides, there's people throwing mud at each other. We're throwing mud at those who are getting it, and we're throwing mud at those who are not getting it. And I'm talking about in the world today, in society, also in the body of Christ. We have to watch that this does not divide us. Because if we are angry with one another and fighting Guess what? That is the mark of the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Anger and division and fighting and strife and rebellion and uh, oh, I'm not going to listen to the word of God or the pastor. I've got my own thing. Yeah. See, see how that goes for you. I'm not going to control you. I'll, I'll send you out. Good luck with that. <laughs> of course, I'm not believing in luck. <laughs> So there's a simple solution, and a simple solution is found in Romans 14. And you see Paul talk about those who do not want to eat meat and those who want to eat meat. And it has to do with the sacrifices that were made in the market to idols. And and I don't have time to get into all of it, but he says, if someone eats, let him eat in faith. And if someone does not eat, let him eat. Do, let them not eat in faith. This is a matter of conscience, and he says to them, don't condemn the other one. Love your brother. Respect their decision. One does it in faith. One does not do it in faith. What matters is that you love God and you love one another. Do you understand that? That's the way that we go about these things. I, it's okay if you are against the vaccine. You could be, there, there's scientists that are against the vaccine for different reasons. And that's okay for you to have that stance. But do not force and bully someone else. Amen. And if you're a pro-vaccine, don't try to force somebody to get it either. Again, this is a matter of freedom and conscience. Lots of things are happening today. And so we got to be wise about how we go about these things. So be careful that we don't fall into the ways of the serpent by dividing, dividing, blaming, and accusing one another. God's mark is the mark of love. God's mark is the mark of love. 
The most important thing is, have you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross? Have you put your faith in Jesus and what he has done on the cross? If you have received Jesus and it's true and genuine, then you have God's mark and seal on you. Don't be afraid of the devil. So let's all stand. We're going to pray. And thanks for listening a little bit longer today because I think this is a very important issue and that we need to see it by walking through the whole entire Bible from beginning to end. Let's put our faith in God and his seal. Let Jesus imprint his character on you. Then you will be an overcomer. Let's not base our faith on internet theories and speculations, but on the solid word of Christ. And what I'm saying is, let's get back to Scripture, continually get back to Scripture, and see how the apostles dealt with these types of matters. So, Father, here we are. We want to worship, and we will worship you and only you. We're not going to bow down to any other idol. We think about the Moravians who they sold themselves into slavery in order to reach the slaves for the gospel. They sold these Moravians. Some of them were so bursting with love for you that they sold themselves into slavery to reach the slaves. And we know that Jesus became man, entering into our flesh and blood, into the sinful world. He became man to reach us. And he let himself be crucified. But he knew that that could not change him. It could not change him. It was something outward. It couldn't change his heart. So, Father, I want to pray for your people that they would not be uh, fearful of the outward things, the things having to do with food and drink and these different medicines. Because your kingdom is a kingdom of power and righteousness and the Holy Spirit. Father, just minister to your people. Bring them your peace and your grace, Lord, in this time. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to, as we hear, as we're in the presence of God, I just want to ask you, do you know that you know that God's seal is on you? If you don't, this is an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord, or Lord and Savior, or it's an opportunity to confirm that and say, yes, I'm standing.